Thank you so much, John. It's rather strange being here this morning. Um, Thank you for the worship team and your incredible worship. And it's lovely to see some people here who didn't get the announcement. Welcome. And to those of you online, I just praise and thank God that he's not limited to a building, uh, that his word cannot be contained. He could speak through a donkey. Imagine what he can do through the internet. So just praise God for being able to share his word with you this morning. And I I want to encourage you to really engage with God's word. Uh, Maybe take out your phone and take notes or a pen and paper. Just encourage you to really engage and not just be a spectator. So I was supposed to be called Joy um, after one of my favorite aunts. Uh, But my dad read a book and the character's name was Cindy. And so I was called Cindy. Um, I have three other siblings, David, Peter, and John. So I was the only sibling not to crack the nod for any type of biblical name. The only sibling not to have a second name. I'm still processing it and working through it, as you can hear. Um, But when I was telling my kids the story about the fact that um, I should have been called Joy, my one daughter promptly said, you are definitely not a Joy. Um, so I like sat back and I wondered if it was because when she was in preschool, uh, she called me the stepmother. If uh, you have a preschool child, you know that being called the stepmother is the worst insult that she could think of. Uh, or if Joy just was a name she didn't think suited me. And whatever she meant, the truth is I, um, I struggle with Joy, so I don't think it's a suitable name. Uh, I've struggled with being joyful in the last 10 months. Um, My emotions have have been really negative, fearful, anxious. And so joy has been a great challenge as circumstances have been tough and robbed me of joy. And so when it comes to preaching the sermon, I feel the least qualified. But I hope in some ways, because I feel the least qualified, it's, it's like one of those teachers who's a great teacher because she herself battled to teach uh, during, uh, she herself battled academically when she was in school. Uh, so I hope I am qualified because it's a struggle for me. And I know I'm not alone in the struggle for being joyful. As I've spoken to people in our spiritual family I know that people are struggling to have joy and rejoice when they've lost their job, when they've lost a loved one, or their income has dropped, or an important relationship has imploded. They can't pay their bills. They've they've had a cancer diagnosis. How are we supposed to have joy? But it is in these kind of circumstances that we need a defiant joy. Now, defiance has negative connotations for most of us, you know, that defiant teenager. But when our world has been turned upside down and our circumstances have battered and bruised us and broken us, then we need a defiant joy. And so I'm hugely inspired by the life of Paul. I, I read the book of Philippians and I find it easy to rejoice and be glad and happy when my circumstances are cushy and comfortable, everything's going my way. But Paul writes about joy and rejoicing 16 times in the book of Philippians. 16 times. And you know what? He was in prison when he wrote about this. He was in a cold, dark, damp, uncomfortable prison cell, wrongfully arrested probably hungry, 
lonely, maybe even a little depressed. And Paul wasn't a stranger to suffering in his life. It says that he was severely lashed three times. He was beaten three times, pelted with stones once, shipwrecked three times. He spent a night and day on the open sea. He was in danger of bandits and rivers and Gentiles and Jews. He labored and toiled and went without sleep. He knew hunger and thirst, and he had been cold and naked. So I don't know about you, but just one lashing, I would have been an absolute basket case. I mean, often I lose joy because of my overwhelming to-do list that stresses me out. Yet Paul went through all of these difficult things, and he says and speaks about joy. He sets the bar so high in terms of having joy in difficult circumstances, and he tells us, rejoice in the Lord always. I say it again, rejoice. How the heck is that even possible? I'm not quite sure, and so that's why I've looked at the life of Paul over the last couple of months, and I want us to stay with that one verse this morning, and we're going to also look at a bit of Philippians and how else that verse is applied in the rest of Philippians, because I think it's a word in season for us. I think God is speaking to us. I listened to a podcast this week where the guy said, Many of us have entered into a relationship with the harlot of self-pity. And I've recognized over the last couple of months, I often have an intimate relationship with self-pity. And I want to change. I want to be different. And so Paul calls us to rejoice in the Lord. So that first verse, uh, that first word, rejoice, what does that mean? The Greek word for joy is, is chara. And it describes a feeling of inner gladness, delight, or rejoicing. In the New Testament, joy is virtually always used to signify a feeling of happiness that is based on a spiritual reality. It's independent of what happens. So for Paul, joy is countercultural. It's in defiance of circumstances, independent of them. It's deeper than momentary happiness. It's a, it's a depth of assurance and confidence in God that springs up joy inside our hearts. Joy isn't an experience that comes from favorable circumstances. It's an attitude in the heart that's deep, so deep, that circumstances can't touch it. And one of our Old Testament prophets describes this kind of joy really well. He says, though the fig tree does not bud and there are no grapes on the vines, Though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stores, yet I will rejoice in, I will be joyful in God, my Savior. He shows that our circumstances are not the place where we find our joy. And if, if you have been struggling with joy at the moment, perhaps it's because you're looking to your circumstances for something they weren't meant to provide. So where is our joy supposed to be found? What is the source of our joy? Well, he says, this prophet says, in God, my Savior. And Paul says, rejoice in the Lord. His secret, his secret of being able to find joy in tough, tough circumstances was his source of joy was in the Lord, not in his circumstance. His source of joy was in his relationship with Jesus. And Jesus says to all of us, he says, I have come. I've come that you may have a full life, an abundant life, 
a complete life, a satisfying life, a whole life. Our joy is found in Jesus. So although Paul faced severe hardships in good or bad circumstances, he was able to be content and he was able to rejoice in the Lord, in his relationship. He says it actually was in the fact that he knew Jesus. He said, I once thought these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage, so that I could gain Christ and become one with him. I no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law. Rather, I become righteous through faith in Christ. For God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith. And Paul considered everything he'd accomplished, his titles, his successes, his achievements, he, he considered it like street filth, absolute garbage in comparison with this great um, privilege of knowing Christ intimately. Now, this wasn't a head knowledge as some of us would think. The Old Testament understanding of knowing, which is what Paul used in this verse, was far deeper than a head knowledge. It was the type of knowing a, a husband would have for his wife or a parent for their child. It's based on personal experience, on intimate relationship with that person. And so throughout Philippians, you see the type of Christ that Paul knew, his humility, his servant heart, his death on the cross, his exalted position. Paul speaks about the fact that every knee will bow, every tongue confess. That power, that wonder of Christ, Paul knew it so intimately. And in that knowledge, that heart knowledge of Christ, that assurance of who he was, he found joy. And so if you're not experiencing joy today, perhaps it's because you've never come to know Jesus. There's no lasting joy in our circumstances, our, our achievements, as Paul said, our pleasures, um, or even in our own self-righteousness to make us right with God. Joy can only be found in Jesus Christ. I remember at the age of seven, um, I wanted to know Jesus for myself, no longer through my mom and dad. And so my dad led me in a prayer. And as we prayed, I, to this day, can remember the joy that came into my heart. Now, I know for many people, their first encounter and beginning a relationship with Jesus doesn't necessarily result in that joy. But like Paul, the more we get to know Jesus intimately, the more we find his unfailing love, his acceptance, the belonging we need, peace with God, forgiveness for all of our wrongdoing, hope for the future, help for the present. And in that, we experience joy. But maybe you're sitting here today or at home and you're going, I know Jesus, but my joy keeps sliding away. Uh, as I was preparing the sermon, I was thinking of people I know, many of whom are in our church. You know, how do you have joy when you wake up every morning with a splitting headache? How do you have joy when you're a single mom and you're trying to make ends meet, keep your business going? How do you have joy when you're looking for a job and you've had rejection after rejection after rejection? How do you have joy when your 20-year-old daughter is killed in a car accident? These, these circumstances are overwhelming, 
How does the knowledge of Jesus give us a defiant joy in these moments? I think that word defiant is so important to us. It means full of or showing a disposition to challenge, resist, or fight. And it's in these kinds of circumstances where we've got to fight for our joy. We've got to challenge those circumstances, hold on to our insurance of God. But still, sometimes to me, joy feels like a human impossibility. And so the good news today is Scripture says our source of joy is still God himself. The Bible says the fruit of the Spirit is joy, (laughs) peace. But joy is second. One of, the, one of the elements of the fruit of the Spirit is joy. And so when we feel like something is beyond us, we turn to God as a source. Lord, give me joy. You'll know what I mean about living beyond yourself. If you've ever had to forgive someone for a huge offense that they've committed against you, uh, inside you have no forgiveness. You just want to hold it against them. You want them to be punished. But God supernaturally gave you forgiveness. You were able to let it go, not hold it against them. And it's this kind of joy that God can give us. Paul says, I can do all things through him who gives me strength. In this context, he was speaking specifically about contentment. But it can refer here to joy as well. We can turn to him when it's impossible for us and ask him to fill us with his joy, to give us the strength to look to him to find joy. And so on days when you feel like you're the bottom end of that corona coaster and you're full of grief and fear and worry and sadness, press into a greater knowledge of who Jesus is. Be assured of who he is, that he's trustworthy, that he's in control that he's greater than any circumstances you or anyone you know or love is going through, that he's faithful to his promises, that he'll never leave you or forsake you because your joy will grow and grow as your knowledge of him grows and grows. You know, when you and I seek our happiness outside of Jesus, we comfort eat, we binge watch series, uh, we hope it will be in the successes of our kids, Uh, or in our physical fitness, or appearance, or in a relationship, or in our role at work. If we look for joy there, our joy will always be lacking. Incomplete, it will always be unattainable. We can't quite reach that joy. It's almost like, I picture it like we're drinking from a cup with a large, large hole in it. And we're so thirsty, we keep drinking, but we just never get enough. And so we keep going back for more and more and more. And so we eat more. We binge watch more, um, we work harder, we exercise excessively. And so I want us to pause and go, where am I looking for my source of joy? I realized that I was going to the fridge way too often during lockdown. Because when I was sad, I wanted to eat. But you know what? It never brings lasting joy. Are you looking for for the source of joy in your work, in your health, maybe in your wealth, your bank account, in a relationship? These things are not bad in themselves at all, but they weren't meant to provide lasting joy. A death may come, a job may be lost, your health may fail, children will inevitably, hopefully, leave home, 
But everything else changes. Everything else is a type of joy that dries up. But our joy in the Lord lasts forever. It's a never-ending source of joy. And that is why in this verse, Paul says, rejoice in the Lord. And then he goes on to say, always. He, he, he says in this verse, always, and then he says, I say it again, rejoice. So he repeats himself, but he's actually also repeating Philippians chapter 3, verse 1. He says, further, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again and again. And it's a safeguard for you. So Paul, Paul repeats himself. Why? Because he wants to emphasize how important it is to find joy in the Lord. You know, joy is, is sometimes needing to be independent of our feelings. It's needing to be an act of our will. We need to choose it repeatedly as an act of obedience to God. When I think of this kind of joy, that's a conscious choice over and over, I, I remember my mom. John might know that whenever she answered the phone, she would go, this is the day that the Lord has made. Everybody knew that's how my mom answered the telephone. And the rest of that verse goes, let us rejoice and be glad in it. And my mom was just a naturally joyful person. And I wonder if it's because consciously over and over throughout the day, she made that decision. And she reminded herself of it every time she answered the phone, which was a lot. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Let's over and over choose joy. We need a disposition that challenges, that fights, that stands against things that are going to rob us of our joy. The Bible tells us the evil one comes to steal, kill, and destroy anything that's good in our lives. And so we need to have a defiant joy in the Lord that helps us stand strong against his attacks. And joy offers us emotional and spiritual stability in the storms of life. So throughout Philippians, he, Paul gives us practical ways that we can choose joy, that we can safeguard our defiant joy from things that want to steal it from us. We're going to look at six of those very briefly. Firstly, Paul, through his um, role model, shows us to look for gifts from God in suffering and rejoice in those. Paul um, was in prison, and he was able to say, I'm in prison for the spreading of the gospel. He says, now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. Paul shows that God was busy using his suffering for good, and he's doing the same for all of us. In a recent conversation with two friends of mine, one a divorcee and the other struggling with infertility, um, and they both were saying, and I asked their permission to share this, in the darkest time in their lives, they were really, really struggling with those two things. But God has used it over and over and over in other divorcees' lives, in other people struggling with infertility. They've been able to show compassion and wisdom and kindness and help and understanding that nobody else could offer. And so we need to, in our times of suffering, look for situations, look for gifts, surprising gifts from God. James says to us, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance, 
Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. And I'm, I'm sure if we pause and look back on lockdown, we will see surprising gifts that God has produced spiritual maturity in our lives. So look for the gifts in suffering. Secondly, we safeguard our defiant joy by being other person-centered. Paul says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. Nothing robs us as much of joy as selfish ambition and selfishness and self-pity. I clearly remember my mom often saying to me when I was sad or, or down, Cindy, look for somebody else who's in need. Do something kind for somebody. Why? Because when we're focusing on the needs of somebody else, it puts our own in perspective, but also it gives us a renewed purpose in what God has created us to do. Serve one another. And don't we live in a time more than ever where people need us to be serving them? They're underprivileged. People in our own church who are struggling with sickness and finances. What a great opportunity to safeguard our joy by blessing others with what we have. Thirdly, we can safeguard our joy by avoiding grumbling and arguing. I don't know about you, but when I'm grumbling and moaning, I'm just focusing on the negative and I'm joyless. When I'm arguing with other people, the relationship that's being damaged by the argument um, robs me of joy. And so we need to do everything without grumbling or arguing, Paul tells us. I think sometimes that means we need to be intentional about the company we keep. There's some people who constantly grumble and are looking to pick a fight. And so perhaps you need to kind of pause and go, if I'm without joy, what's coming out of my mouth? Who am I keeping company with? Be really intentional to be with people who give life, who speak about joy in the Lord and who he is. Fourthly, let's remember the Lord is near. There are two incredibly comforting truths in this verse. Jesus is right here, right now with all of us. In this pandemic, he understands how we feel about empty cupboards, dwindling bank accounts, sickness, struggles, fear. And he's so near, he invites us to talk to him about what we're feeling, what we're struggling with. The other great truth in this verse is the Lord is near also refers to the fact that Jesus is coming back again soon. And when he comes back, he will right every wrong in this world. And so you and I can have hope and joy in our struggles because the Lord is near. Takes us to our sixth point. Because he's near, we can pray with thanks. Paul says, do not be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. I know many have struggled with anxiety in this season. I know many have had sleepless nights, and anxiety and worry just take our joy away, robs us of joy completely. And this verse says, do something different. Give thanks. When we're giving thanks, we, we can't but help notice the good things. It takes our eyes off the anxieties. But God also invites us to tell him what we're worried about and pray about those anxieties. 
I started making a habit right in the early days of lockdown of writing the anxieties I had for our spiritual family in my prayer journal. And last week, I, I went back and was praying about things, but as I looked, I was like, praise the Lord, P-U-L went next to you, different things, and I kept just writing, praise the Lord, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. People who'd found jobs, um, people who'd been healed from sicknesses, uh, people who, whose relationships had been healed. And so when we turn our anxiety to prayer, God longs to intervene. He longs for us to depend on him. And so we can do that. Pray with thanks. And the last thing is that we need to safeguard our defiant joy by guarding what we think. We need to be conscious of the focus of our thoughts and be aware of whether they're true or not. Many, many have shared with me how they've struggled with um, unhealthy thinking patterns and negative thoughts during lockdown. Um, it's robbed them of joy, it's filled them with inferiority, unhealthy comparisons, uh, fear, and, and dark thoughts. One person shared with me how I'm so angry with myself, I hate myself. What is the root of that? The root of that is wrong thinking. When we're struggling terribly with negative emotions, if we look at what we're thinking, often that is also causing us to think, uh, feel bad. And so Paul encourages us to only think about whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy. Think about such things. We need to test our thoughts, all of us. We need to look and go, um, is this thought true about God? Is this thought true about myself? Is this thought true about my circumstances? And if it's not, we need to look into Scripture and rewrite our thoughts, renew our minds, because that will transform our lives. We also need to be very cautious about what we spend time uh, filling our thoughts with. Uh, social media often will fill us with thoughts of comparison. Uh, News 24 might fill us with thoughts of fear and anger and hatred. Those aren't godly, and so we need to take captive our thoughts in obedience to what Jesus wants us to think. And when we do, when I focus on what is true and noble, uh, spending time in Scripture, I was battling with anxiety in the middle of the night. And so picking up my Bible and reading the Psalms would fill my thoughts with God's Word and move it away from, from what I was struggling with. Focus on what is true and noble. Um, when, we, when we spend time filling our thoughts with worship songs, what is lovely and admirable. And that allows then the Holy Spirit room to let those thoughts filter into our minds throughout the day um, because we are, they're already there. Memorize scripture to help you focus or meditate on scripture to help you focus on those things. Defiant joy is not easy in these circumstances. But when we practically apply these six things, I want you to look at them and say, God, is there something I need to lean into in this season? Is there something I need to start doing for the first time? Um, stop grumbling. Remember that God is near. Be other person-centered. Who can I serve who's struggling at the moment? Because those things will help you safeguard your joy will help you hold on to a defiant joy. Now, does rejoicing in the Lord always 
does it mean that those of us who know and follow Jesus will never feel sad or depressed or grieve? I don't believe that's true. The psalmist himself says, why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Jesus himself wept. Paul says to us, mourn with those who mourn. And so we will struggle when we are feeling depressed, when we're despairing. I think we need to go to the Psalms again and learn from them how to deal with negative emotions. The psalmist, when they were overwhelmed with despair and sadness, they would be honest and open and authentic with God. They wouldn't deny their feelings. They would take them to God. And then they'd refocus their thoughts away from their circumstances and their feelings onto an almighty, merciful, loving God. And often by the end of the psalm, they would be in a different frame of mind. Not always. That's when the psalmist has a really stern talk with himself. He says, why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. Sometimes joy is a choice. This is the day the Lord has made. And we need to have our own mantra that helps us hold on to joy. So my, my name may not be Joy. Um, I may not be the best one to have preached the sermon because it's a struggle for me. And I'm definitely a compliant person, not a defiant person. But when it comes to this type of joy, I so long to be someone who knows Jesus more intimately, who's assured of his presence and his love and his goodness. And so I want to be spreading a fragrance of joy wherever I go, like my mother used to, so that when people look at me, they go, I want to know. She's going through tough times. I want to know why she has such joy. And I can point them to the Jesus who loves me. And so my prayer for all of us today is that we would have a defiant joy, that we would rejoice in the Lord, not in our circumstances. We'd rejoice in him because we know him intimately, that we would do it always as an act of obedience, and that we do it always because we're safeguarding our joy by looking for gifts and trials, by being other person-centered, by avoiding grumbling and arguing, by remembering the Lord is near, praying with thanks and guarding our thoughts. Because you know, Scripture tells us that if we choose joy, it will give us strength no matter our circumstances. It tells us the joy of the Lord is our strength. So we're going to end the service today with a worship song that I found has given me joy in this season. And then thereafter, I'd like to pray for you. When all foundations have been shaken When I'm left standing in the dark And all I feel is my heart breaking You still reign and you're still God And when it feels all hope is fading The heavy questions hit so hard 
you today that we can find joy in the fact that you still reign and you are still God no matter our circumstances we can find joy in the fact that you are near us and you are good to us and you are faithful to us so father today I want to pray for anyone who has never begun a relationship with Jesus and doesn't know the joy I'm talking about Lord may they by your Holy Spirit, be prompted to come to know you. Open their eyes that you'd want a relationship with them. You want to give them this joy, this assurance in your love and your goodness. I also want to pray, Lord, for those in our spiritual family who are really, really struggling. 
They know you, they love you, but circumstances are hard. Lord, I pray that you would fill them with your spirit of joy. Give them the strength they need to deal with sickness, with financial difficulty, with grief, with depression. Lord, you know work difficulties, you know what their struggles are. Give them the strength to find joy in Jesus, unending, lasting joy. Give them the strength to stop looking for joy in places that don't bring lasting joy. We just want to then ask you when we're anxious, Lord. We want to bring you the needs in our congregation, Lord, those who don't know how their money will last to the end of the month provide for them. We bring you those in our spiritual family who don't have jobs, provide for them. Those in our spiritual family who've been impacted by COVID, either because they're sick or they're anxious or they're lonely, be near to them, heal them, help them. We just want to rejoice in you today, Lord, despite our circumstances because your love for us never fails. Thank you, Lord. May you help us to rejoice in you always. Amen. I want to encourage you today to be a spiritual family that's there for one another so that we can help each other rejoice in the Lord always. But if you need someone to talk to, speak to someone in your life group or contact the church office We'd love to pray with you for your anxieties. We'd love to support you, encourage you. Don't do this journey alone. We weren't meant to be isolated. I think it's a trap of the evil one to isolate ourselves. Though we can't meet face to face, there are ways we can connect. Let's rejoice in the Lord together, always. Thank you. Have a wonderful Sabbath restorative time today. Cheers.